welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. This is episode number six. Back with us again is Dr. Patrick O'Connor. Um, he was with us on episode two, and we talked Comicspedia. Today, we're going to talk some specific comics um, using the Comicspedia model. So uh, let's get into this. Uh, welcome, Patrick. Thank you very much for having me. So for people who haven't listened to episode number two or or just don't remember, could you give us a review of what Comicspedia is? Sure. Comicspedia is a database of hundreds of individual comic book issue summaries. Each comic book issue summary is tagged with clinically relevant themes that, uh, using my um, experience in psychology, I read through each issue and tag them with themes such as difficult decisions, facing fear, roles, abuse of power, um, being different, things like that, that I find that are very useful themes in bringing up in therapy. Uh, essentially, I use a methodology that I've developed to ask my clients to read comic books and to talk about how they relate with the characters, the stories, and everything that can, is contained within those uh, the, the pages of the comic book. Now, the the Comicspedia model is, is unique to you, so today is... I don't know. It's the first time I've ever tried it. So mm -hmm. I picked a handful of comics. You brought some comics. And I'm going to try to use the Comicspedia model to, to kind of talk about a few, a few of these comic books here. Great. Um, you, you can tell me if I'm, <laughs> if I'm doing okay sure, or not. Sure, yeah. Um, no, I, you know, I designed Comicspedia as much as I have information in there and, and kind of scaffolding for, for therapists to uh, get into using comics and therapy. I... I my hope is that it's still accessible to, to therapists of, of all different backgrounds um, or, or you know, educators or, or people who want to use comic books with an intended purpose of helping other people or educating other people. Um, so I'm, yeah, um, I'm excited to see what, what you brought today and, and uh, what we're going to talk about. And I did not ask you before any, I didn't ask you for help before. I just used no. all the information on the website. So it was pretty clear to me. Great. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. Awesome. Okay. And um, we're also, so today we're only going to talk about two specific companies of comic books. I think, I think we should go back and, and talk a little bit about this. Comic books is a huge industry. There are many, many different companies, but there's what's commonly referred to as the big two, right? Marvel Comics and DC Comics. They are the most popular, all the movies right now, they're, they're Marvel and DC. So today we only chose Marvel and DC Comics, correct? Correct. Um, can you say anything? Want to say anything about the big two? Or, or? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think most people uh, who read comic books, uh, who at least read a lot of comic books, will have their preference. I, I think for people who have any experience with uh, with video game playing, they find this with companies as well. That either you have an Xbox or you have a PlayStation, or perhaps you have a Wii, and uh, and usually you you're going to play games associated with those systems. Likewise, some people prefer Marvel titles. Some of the uh, heroes in Marvel Universe include Spider-Man, Thor, Iron Man, which we've you know, we've seen all, um, some of those in the Avengers movie. And with DC, they're more uh, they're Superman, Batman, Hawkman, Justice League, and so on. And uh, there's there's always going to be uh, differences in interpretation between the two publishers. Some people say the Marvel characters are a bit more real or uh, have richer uh, personality dynamics, whereas other people will say that the some people will say the DC comic superheroes are a bit more godlike and therefore maybe a little less accessible. That they kind of have too many powers and have 
two big of issues kind of going on, you know, battling um, these superhuman, huge intergalactic monsters and, and villains and whatnot. Um, I find that that they're both great publishers, of course, and that they have wonderful superheroes. That's why today uh, I brought um, essentially just a, a few from each of the publisher. I think there's wonderful uh, comics coming out of both that that we can learn from and, and kind of uh, and, and explore in therapy. Well, it's funny because mo most people that I hear say kind of the opposite about the two companies. Okay, that Marvel is more uh, it's more for <laughs> what is it? I hear a lot of people say. When you're a kid, you like Marvel, and once you grow up, you like DC mm -hmm. because you know a lot of people think the character development in DC is better. But that just goes to show people have their favorites. Sure, yeah. These are the two biggest companies, and then these these are two separate companies. So that's why that the characters are exclusive to each company. Very rarely in history they've they've actually crossed over. But genuinely, you you know you'll never see Superman in an Avengers movie, and you'll never see. Spider-Man alongside Batman, just because they're two completely separate companies. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's get started. You go first because sure. you're, this is this is your model, and then um, I'll kind of follow up, uh, follow you, and 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 see how we do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to start off with kind of uh, an unconventional uh, comic book. Um, it's conventional in that it's Batman and Robin issues one through three from the 2009 volume uh, you can find this in a, a trade paperback called batman reborn which collects issues one through six uh, but i'll just be talking about the first three issues from this set however what's unconventional about this is that bruce wayne is not batman in this set instead dick grayson who was once robin later became nightwing um, is now donning the 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 cowl and is is portraying batman essentially a brief backstory is that Bruce Wayne is believed to be dead. He's actually traveling through time in between different dimensions. It's kind of a crazy other story. But within the pages of, of these issues of comic books, all you need to know is that Dick Grayson is Batman and Damian Wayne, who is the son of Bruce Wayne, is Robin. And what I think is great about these issues is that essentially we see a lot of similar issues that come up in the history of these characters are now kind of being reborn with the, the characters as adults or, or in different stages of their lives. And they're completely new. Like this is, this is Damien's, he's Bruce's son. This mm -hmm. is the first time he ever becomes Robin. Exactly. He's yeah. a brand new Robin. There's a history of Robins, but he's, this is the first time that he does it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And what's cool about this is that uh, essentially when, when, Batman and Robin were uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. Uh, Dick Grayson had to learn the, the way of, of Batman. Um, Bruce Wayne had to show him it's all about careful detective work. It's about building your case, looking for evidence, sniffing out clues, things like that. And only after you do, do you have this body of evidence do you move on it and you, and you uh, make a move on the villain and you, and you can capture them, uh, bring them to justice and to the, the police and whatnot. Whereas Dick Grayson, being a young kid, was kind of more like, come on, let's get in there. Let's, you know, let's beat him up. Let's you know, have like, the fun of it. And, and he would bring a lot of that energy of like, come on, let's just do, like essentially to remove yourself uh, to break the fourth wall and remove yourself from the comic book, do what the fun stuff is in, in comic books. You know, let's like just beat up the villains and whatnot. Um, well, fast forward, now Dick Grayson is Batman and Damien is Robin. Damien is essentially questioning Dick Grayson and saying, I don't think that your method of being careful with looking for clues and being a, a detective and all that, I don't think that's the way to go. I think that's actually a much slower and 
ineffective way of solving crime, we should just get in there and beat them up. I mean, we're superheroes, essentially. Well, you know, whether or not they have superpowers, I think, is, is not important. But they have access to, you know, everything in the Batcave. They have the, the, the Batcycle and the Batmobile, and they've got these flying things. And, you know, all these different toys to play with. Let's get in there, beat the crap out of people, and save the day, you know? So um, Dick Grayson, though, now he finds himself on the other side of the coin. Before, that was him when he was a kid, saying, Bruce, come on, let's get in there. We got all these toys. Let's play with them. And now Damien is telling that to, to Dick, and he's like, what? No, we can't be doing this. We got to be careful, methodical, and, and be the be the detective. Uh, what What's nice, too, is that we see is that, that Robin gets in trouble with that, and it really shows a lot of where I think adolescents um, go, where they get excited. They're kind of growing into their bodies, and, they're, and they get excited about using them and, and saying, I want to get in a, a fast car, and I just want to drive like crazy around the block or whatever. Um, doing so puts you in, in risk, especially if you don't have the life experience to draw upon to know that that's a risky um, endeavor. And so you, you, sometimes you can get in trouble with that. So, so again, Robin gets in trouble. He gets caught by the bad guys trying to run out on his own and save the day on his own without being careful and having Batman at his side. So Batman has to come in later and rescue him. And Batman, or, or rather Robin, kind of says, um, you know, I guess I do need to work a little bit more closely with you in the future and follow your way because boldly running into any kind of situation without thinking about it first and planning uh, is, is just not good. Again, a huge parallel with adolescence. And what's kind of interesting is that where this story goes from here after the first three issues is that they clash with uh, an antihero called Red Hood, who is actually pretty successful with Robin's preferred means of, of um, fighting the bad guys. Red Hood says kind of the same thing. Why should we be so careful with the villains? They deserve to die. You know, if we just kill these villains, that we're not going to have trouble with them anymore. Um, so there's there's some interesting conflict coming on coming down the pike there with these issues. And the Red Hood is he used to be a Robin. One of the Robins, yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Um, and so I tagged these issues with others' expectations, collaborating with others, and family. And the reason why I tagged with these three themes is because Robin is essentially working with under the expectation of Dick Grayson that he's going to behave in a certain way of you are going to follow you know do be follow things my way or the highway and Robin is feeling that pressure of well I don't agree with you I don't think that's the way to go and so there's some conflict there he also has to learn that he can't make his own decisions without at least considering that maybe Dick Grayson is right or that he needs to spend more time convincing Dick Grayson that his way is correct um, and so with the, the theme of collaborating with others, he's having to explore this, kind of like wrestle with this idea of how much do I need other people in order to be successful? I can't just boldly run out on my own and think that I, you know, I know all the right things. Um, it, likewise, Dick Grayson maybe needs to work a little bit on convincing Robin to, to um, or you know, Damian Wayne to follow him and, and to believe in, in his approach. Um, and then lastly, family, just because Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne live in the same house, and they're and they're kind of like a working unit. Even if they're not father and son, there are a lot of father and son dynamics there. And uh, so again, I think that Batman and Robin issues one through three uh, just came out a few years ago. Um, are, is a great set of issues to kind of address adolescence and what it means to kind of make your own decisions, but learn from your own mistakes as well, and to own those mistakes, and or even to prepare for them at, at the very least, instead of just kind of boldly running in and. and you know, saying, well, let's see how things go. 
So who do you think could relate to, because th there's so many themes in there. Um, I'm thinking mostly about family, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's Damien lost his father recently. Right. Um, in terms of the story, Dick Grayson is actually an adopted son of uh, Bruce Wayne. So he's right. also in a way his brother, mm -hmm. uh, Damien's brother. Right. Um, so do you think um, it might relate to for, for kids who maybe have recent loss or or dealing with adoption or things like that? I, I think this would be great for any middle school to high school age um, person who is maybe entering a new family or has somebody entering their family who's new, such as a, a stepfather uh, or, uh, or an older brother, older stepbrother or whatnot, or any um, situation where there is maybe a, a good age difference between two brothers where perhaps one is uh, 23 and another is 16. And the 23-year-old sees that the 16-year-old is making a lot of irresponsible mistakes and that the 23-year-old maybe has been there before and he has some wisdom to share, but the, but the younger person is unwilling to listen. I think that these issues would be huge for um, a, a pair of brothers like that. Or, you know, or if, if a therapist is treating one individually, it would be interesting to see the younger person's perspective of the comic or possibly to see the older person's perspective of what is it like? What are they going to relate to and how are they going to kind of project their own problems onto these three issues of comics? Because both of them think that they know best. Right. Damien yeah. is very young, but he's absolutely certain that his way is the right way. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Since you brought up a Batman comic, I'm going to bring up a comic in the Batman family. Um, this is Batgirl number one. This was released in September 2011, and it's included in the trade paperback, um, Batgirl Volume 1, The Darkest Reflection. So there's a few different Batgirl number ones throughout the years, but this is the most recent that came out last year. This is part of um, DC Comics' uh, relaunch in 2011. So we find um, the character of Batgirl, who is portrayed by Barbara Gordon. She's the commissioner's... Uh, the Gotham City Commissioner's daughter. And she was Batgirl for a while. And then she had a situation where a villain in Gotham City, the Joker, he actually goes to her house, shoots her, and she ends up uh, paraplegic for many years. According to this new version of the history, this happened three years ago. So you come into the comic when she's coming back into it. She recently, she was able to get some surgery and she's okay now. She's able to walk again. You're not sure how recently at this point, but you know that she was in a wheelchair for a while and she had that traumatic event. The comic starts with her kind of getting back into it, getting back into being a hero in Gotham City again. So I tagged it with the themes facing fear, losing powers, others' expectations, and family and roles. Now, family and roles I mentioned because in the comic she, she's been living with her father, she's been needing help, but now she's you know, becoming more independent. So she decides to move out and you see her, she's looking for a roommate and she, you know, it's, it's that father-daughter dynamic. She's like, oh, I have to be, I'm, I'm older now, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to, I'm going to go live on my own. Facing fear because she, in the comics, she confronts someone with a gun and she freezes. So the reason really why I picked this is because she really does have PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. The author of the comic actually consulted with psychologists. 
So it's a it's a pretty accurate portrayal of what someone with PTSD goes through. So I think it's it's a really good comic for anybody that has any sort of PTSD. Losing powers because you she's still dealing with the fact that she was very athletic and you know the the bad characters they never have superpowers, but they're very smart. They're physically agile. They're they're very resourceful. And when she was in a wheelchair, she her her role changed completely. She was doing something different, and now she's coming back with her her physicality intact. And others' expectations, because now that she's back, everybody expects her to be a, a hero, a superhero. And they find her in this. She finds herself in this situation where she sees the gun, and she freezes. She can't. She can't act. And there's someone else there telling her, "But do something. You're Batgirl. What are you doing? Why are you just standing there?" And she can't. She she's frozen. So that's that's issue number one. It, it touches all of those. And I think I really think it's a it's a good episode, a good issue for anybody who um, has life transitions or really is is has ever dealt with PTSD. I think it's one of the few accurate portrayals of that in a comic book. It's really good. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that sounds yeah. awesome. I I always I always love it when comic books have such rich psychological content in there that you can really tell a difference between reading a comic book that's written for entertainment and one that's written to to kind of scratch your head with, you know, yeah. thinking what's going on here or wow, I wonder, you know, have I ever been like in that situation or I wonder what's going on with this character. It's it's really really cool. And in just that one issue you have her getting back into her costume but also she's leaving her home leaving her dad behind they have a conversation about that she's looking for a roommate i mean you're really looking at her life Mm -hmm. and what she's going through and how what she's gone through affects not only her life as batgirl but also in her personal life Mm -hmm. right right so i i wanted to talk about an issue speaking of of uh, issues that deal heavily with psychological issues i want to talk about uncanny x-men issue 519 it was published in 2010 i tagged this with facing fear difficult decisions and personal attack what happens in this issue is scott summers who is the hero cyclops he's been infected with this alien void and they call it a void uh, in the in the issue and it's inside his mind and and what happens is it takes this void takes the form of these female voices and female characters that are that he can tell uh, are are human females, but he can't really tell who they are. They're just kind of black outlines, and they're telling him things like "You're worthless," "You're helpless," and filling him with self doubt. And they're really just infecting his mind with essentially what is depression. And they're they're dragging him down, and he can't perform. He can't uh, be himself anymore. He is constantly just just weighed down by all this interior monologue that this alien void is is um, uh, is is contributing to his mind his girlfriend emma frost offers to help him but he declines and think how many people have been in that situation when you're you're really feeling down and, and really feeling worthless and a loved one comes over and says you want to talk about it and you think i not really you know i mean you're not there you're not the one dealing with it i am and so he has to wrestle with these emotions and, and really try to overcome this and try to be creative of how am I going to get rid of this? Um, he takes an interesting kind of approach. Uh, I think depending on what therapist you talk to as well as what, what the client is presenting with may have different opinions on this. 
But the way he solves it essentially is that he finds this this like room that he is able to kind of push the void or like trick it to get into and he like locks it. And because it's in his mind, he locks it like really, really, really well. Um, the, the trick of this is that it's um, always there then, but that it's essentially gone away. Um, you know, you can talk about the story elements of that of like, well, we can access it later kind of thing. Um, if we ever need to bring it up in an issue again. And, uh, but when we remove ourselves from that and kind of talk about it more in terms of psychology, I think that that still is, is pretty true to depression where we learn ways to overcome it and a way to change our thinking. And while this may not be the case all the time for a lot of people, they find that the depression kind of comes and goes and that they can overcome it in the moment. And then later on, something kind of triggers it again and it's back and they think like, man, you know, they have to go back to the skills that they developed in therapy to, to try to overcome that again. Um, so again, I, this issue I think was great because, um, I, I think it's clear that although I don't know for certain, I would guess that the, the writer probably did a little homework on what depression looks like and what can happen, or maybe even reflecting on his own experiences. Um, in this case, again, that this, this void you know, this emptiness, you can think of this blackness kind of fills his mind and is, is just kind of tearing him down. And um, it's a really, really cool issue. And I, I would highly recommend for any client um, of uh, middle school age or older, adults even especially, who are struggling with depression and, and kind of saying, what are, how is this similar to your experiences with depression? And how have you um, overcome it? How, what do you think of Scott's methods of doing this? Would you do the same thing? Do you think it would work for you of kind of imagining yourself blocking it and, you know, locking it away? Or would you want to give him advice and say, maybe, why don't you try this? Maybe you, you know, your girlfriend's offering some help. Why don't you let her help you? Um, I think it's a great way to talk about depression, uh, with, with an accessible vehicle that is with superheroes and just, and talking about how Scott handles it, while the client is still kind of processing how they might be handling it themselves. Um, it sounds also like it might be, tell me if you agree, it sounds like it might be a good analogy for addiction, you know, because that's yeah. one of those things that you, you know, the, again, depending on your, on your, on your belief, but uh, you know that it's, it can always come back, you know, right. so you have to be more careful. So the idea of having it locked away, but still knowing that it's there, I mean, that's what it reminds me of. So yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a great analogy. I think it's it's very applicable both to depression as well as to substance abuse. Mm -hmm. That um, absolutely, people who struggle with with substance use and abuse, they they know that there's always going to be a part of them that that wants that and wants to get back into it. There was a piece of it of themselves that was satisfied by it. Um, in in Scott's case, he's uh, not necessarily satisfied with it, but it's always going to be a part of him, and he'll always have to kind of check in and say, okay, is it still locked away? Is it still okay? Am I still doing all right with that? So yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great analogy. And a great example of, of how to use comic books to, to relate to a, a psychology concept, right? It's an right. alien void, mm -hmm. but it can mean so many things in, in real life. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Let me see. Which one do I want to pick now? <laughs> right. So X-Men was a Marvel comics. I'm going to pick a Marvel comics. Sure. Um, this one's a little older. Uh, this is a book called The Runaways, and I chose um, issue number one. This was released in July 2003, and it's included in a trade paperback called Pride and Joy. So I love this comic book. It's um, a group of six teenagers, and every year their parents get together for a fundraising activity, right? And so the kids have been seeing each other once a year since they were very little. <clears throat> so... 
this year everybody comes over to the house and they're all a little older now some of them can drive they're really really bored and so this year they're all a little older and um, they're all locked in a room well they're not locked in a room they're all you know put in a room to play together and all the parents go to another room where they lock themselves in and they handle their business so the boy whose family owns the house he tells all the other kids hey i found a secret passageway in our house and uh, do you want to go spy on our parents so they all they're all bored so they decide to go ahead and do that and when they go through this secret passage and they're able to see the meeting that their parents are having, they see that their parents are in costume and they're all dressed up. They have no idea what's going on. And then things happen where they realize, you know, at first they're questioning, well, what, what's happening? Why are they all dressed up? What kind of weird charity function is this? And then they realize that their parents are actually supervillains, all of them. Some of the kids believe that, you know, some of the parents are vegetarian, some of the parents are uh, really nice to their kids, some are not. You have a, a really a, a sample of all types of family situations, but they all realize that their parents are not doing something good. So they run out, and that's the, really the beginning of the story, when they realize that their parents are, bad, are villains. Um, later on in the story, they try to call the cops. They, they, they go through all this um, back and forth, trying to decide amongst themselves, what are we going to do? So I labeled this with a whole bunch of stuff um, being different because all of the kids are very representative of very different cultural groups. You have a little bit of everything to choose from and, and different ages. Collaborating with others because once they realize that their parents are villains, they start trying to work it out. They say, what are we going to do? Do we confront them? Do we not confront them? Do we call the cops? Do we, what do we do? Deception because obviously the parents have been lying to them pretty much their whole lives. Uh, difficult decisions, again, what do we do about mom and dad? What do we do about, about this? Family, obvious, because um, it's, it's related to their families. Um, I included honor, just because the parents present with certain, um, you, know, you know, it's like, what do you do? This is my, my mom and dad. Do I, do I just go ahead with what they want, or do I do what I think is right? Others' expectations, again, as a son, as a daughter, what am I supposed to do in this situation? What is expected of me? What do my parents expect me to do? Do they expect me to go along with this or do they expect me to do something different? And then roles. Again, I mean, uh, an obvious one. They're children, but they're put in a really bad situation. What are they supposed to do? What are parents, you know, uh, is this what parents are supposed to do? Is this what kids are supposed to do? So I just think it's one of those really, really, really great scenarios that so many kids can identify with and teenagers do you agree with your parents? Do you like what they're doing? What is expected of you as a child? What is expected of you as a parent? You know, I don't know how many kids find out that their parents are supervillains, but the analogies are there. You know, there's so many different ways you can look at that. And then the way that all of these kids come together and their differences come into play and how they address this situation is fantastic. They eventually become a group of superheroes um, called the Runaways because they all end up running away from home because they disagree with what their parents are doing. So I think, I think it's fantastic. When it came out um, in 2003, it won a whole bunch of awards. And yeah, check it out. Absolutely check it out. Again, it's a little older, but you can absolutely find these issues. That sounds really cool because it, it reminds me of that experience that we all go through when our parents stop being invincible, essentially, or when they become more human. And this obviously takes it a bit further than that, saying we're all the way into the supervillain realm. But 
there's that's again that's an experience i think unites us as people is that so many times that you know when we're young we look at our parents as like they can do anything and my dad can beat up your dad no you can't and all that kind of stuff and you have this idea of who they are that at some point they kind of fall from grace i mean we, we you know of course we'll always love our parents but at the same time there's going to be a moment of oh they're they're people too and that's just i'm just the same as i am they're an older version of of where i'm at and they were once young too and all these kind of realizations kind of start to come you know come together of who our parents really are and so it sounds like the runaways you know really hits that on the head of of uh, again taking it much further than that but still kind of when that realization of who your parents really are and what does that say about yourself and your family and everything like that why do they do what they do mm-hmm. you know i mean it is such a big part of it right right yeah another issue that i views from comicspedia is amazing spider-man issue 625 and i've tagged this with losing a loved one and honor what happens in this issue is there's a, a villain named rhino in uh in spider-man's world and rhino uh in this case is an older man and uh he essentially has given up the ways of the rhino he's he's hung up his suit his rhino suit essentially saying i'm not going to do that anymore and this new rhino comes to town and he is really angry he's he's but he's also charged and he's saying like i want to be the new rhino i'm i know that you're just an old man and you're and whatever you're worthless and i want to challenge you to a fight and i'm going to prove to you that i am you know the i am the best rhino around and i'm worthy of of taking on that name and um and spider-man finds out about this and he goes to um the the older rhino and he and rhino tells him uh, I gave this up because I want to be closer with my wife, that my wife means the world to me and I've really been apart from her for too long and that and I'm ashamed that this is who I've become. I need to reconnect with her as a person and so that's why I'm totally giving up this life. And Spider-Man says, essentially, well, I don't know what new Rhino's going to have to say about that, but this guy's angry and he's going to come find you and try to kill you. Um, so new Rhino then uh, is, is looking around for old Rhino and he ends up causing this kind of chaotic accident that um, that kills old Rhino's wife. And old Rhino finds out about this, and he is just livid. He is beside himself, like sad, angry, all at once. I mean, you think of of what it means to lose a loved one, and and Rhino is feeling all this in just a you know a few panels. You're seeing him just you know being torn apart by what's going on. So he puts on his old rhino suit, finds a new rhino, and it isn't even a match. He destroys the new rhino, he, and he rips him limb from limb. It's a very violent fight, and he and all the while, new rhino is just screaming in agony as he's being obliterated by the old rhino. Again, clearly not a match at all, not even match whatsoever. And, um, and Spider-Man notes that now with old rhino's wife gone, as well as the very decent, the new kind of changed, decent human form of old Rhino. Um, essentially, he's gone too, and all that we have left in this wake is uh, a, a pure, an expression of pure animal rage. That old Rhino is back, and it was, and that this was born out of tragedy. It wasn't someone being bad for the sake of being bad anymore, or anything like that. But that now it was, it was just this loss caused such a, uh, a a wild response that it's i've got to act on this i've got to destroy the new rhino i can't believe he did this 
and I've got to take it all out on him. And he does in, in again, an extremely violent way. Um, it's a, it's a, absolutely a tragic uh, comic book issue. Um, and I think, I, um, I think it's a great issue, and I would be cautious to bring it up early with a client who recently lost somebody, uh, but I think it could evoke some of those emotions uh, as long as it's, it's done in, in a safe way and a very validating way of uh, that the, the, the client may be able to approach this again of what it was like to lose a person. Uh, what are maybe some of those feelings, especially if, if there were any feelings of revenge or you know, if it was like a wrongful death or, or something along those lines. Um, I think that this can bring up some of those conversations. Additionally, it can also be uh, used in to talk about uh, maybe domestic violence, experiences of domestic violence at home, and exploring what it's like when when the person you love is is taken from you in some way or is is you know that who you knew as a decent human being and a wonderful person is now gone and all that's left is this kind of chaotic rage um, in, in an essentially animal form. Um, so again, I, I think that this is a, a great issue for, for tackling some of those harder, uh, harder hitting issues. But again, I, I would uh, issue some caution in, in bringing this up. I find that um, it's, again, it's a, a very dark subject. It's always difficult to talk to people about loss and mourning and all that. But um, this is, I think, a, a comic that, that really hits that upon that pretty well. And uh, it makes me think about the ideation, you know, the, the thought of what you want to do when something like that happens. Yeah. I mean, most people don't act on on any thoughts that they might have after after a loss like that, but they think about it, you know, mm -hmm. and I mean, to right. see something like that in, in the page, see this person who just had this loss actually go out and do something like that and see how it affected them might really make someone think differently about the thoughts that, that they're having. Right, absolutely. So I'm going to bring up a Spider-Man comic too. Cool. But this is a different Spider-Man. So right. this is this is something that uh, I think I think we need to explain a little just just so it's clear. Um, the Spider-Man you were talking about is the one that most people know about, which is Peter Parker. He's been around for years. Um, there's a an alternate version in Marvel Comics. It's a it's a parallel there are many parallel universes within Marvel Comics. But one in particular has its own line of comics. It's called the Ultimate um, Marvel line. Now it's called the Ultimate Comics um, line. And there's a, a series called Ultimate Comics Spider-Man. In this world, that Peter Parker, he, he died. He actually died last year in the comics. And there's a new Spider-Man. And he's 13 years old. He is half black, half Puerto Rican. He lives in Brooklyn. He just got accepted into a charter school. I mean, there's all these themes that you really never think about seeing in a, in a comic book or seeing a superhero, right? And he's still in this adjustment period of how do I, how do I become Spider-Man, right? How do I use these powers that I have to be great like the Spider-Man that came before me? The issue I want to talk about specifically is issue number 12, which was released just last month in July 2012. And it's not in a trade paperback yet, but it should be in Ultimate Comic Spider-Man Volume 3, which is supposed to come out in December 2012. And at this point in the story, he is caught in a situation where his uncle, who happens to be a villain in, in this world, figures out that he is um, the new Spider-Man. And he tries to use him to 
you know, advance certain things that he wants to do. He wants to fight a, a kingpin, he wants to gain some territory, and he knows that his nephew is powerful enough to help him. And he really manipulates him by telling him he's going to tell his parents that uh, he's Spider-Man, and he obviously doesn't want his parents to, to know yet. He hasn't, he hasn't gotten to that point. He's, he's threatening to um, reveal his identity, and he's actually, you know, tried to fight him over, over these situations. So I put the themes of uh, abuse of power because obviously the uncle is taking advantage of the fact that he's his uncle. Um, difficult decisions. What is he supposed to do, right? Um, the new Spider-Man's name is Miles Morales. What is Miles supposed to do in a situation like that? Do I, do I just do what my uncle tells me because he's my uncle? Or do I, do I say no? Do I tell my parents? Do I avoid the situation? What to do? Lots of difficult situations for Miles in this, in this issue. Um, family, obviously because it's his uncle. Honor, again, what do I do? do, I, do this is my uncle. What am, I, what am I supposed to do in a situation like that? And I'm supposed to be a good guy. I'm the new Spider-Man. Why would I go and, and help this guy who's, who's a bad guy? Um, others' expectations, again, as a nephew, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? As a superhero, what, what is expected of me? And roles, again, just, I'm, I'm a nephew, I'm a superhero. What, what do those roles entail? What am I supposed to do? Um, again, this issue is just really charged because it brings that element of, of family and manipulation into it. And he's, he's just a kid and he's trying to deal with all these things at one time. That's issue number 10 is really where that starts. 10 through 12 is kind of where that story uh, plays out. And it's it's very very good, um, I think, for kids who might be in a situation who, where they find themselves, they're not sure what to do. Parents are, are are again trying to tell them do this or do that. Or maybe you do have a family member. I mean, it could even be an uncle, right? They want you to do something that you don't want to do. I think I think it's a really powerful issue, and it and it it can allow a lot of uh, especially kids to relate to what's going on in that issue. Yeah, it's one thing I've read some of uh, Ultimate Comics Spider-Man Two, and I one of the things I really like about it is that it it presents some similarity in storytelling with Peter Parker's experience getting getting bit, turning into Spider-Man, and all that. But it's still from a, a from a very different lens. It's it's a different child from a different family with different family values and 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 everything along those lines. That it's uh, it's it's the same but different in a sense you know and it's and it's great to kind of have some familiarity but but at the same time um you get this feeling reading these comics that this is such a fascinating and relevant and current story of of today um you're not reading about spider-man becoming spider-man in in 1970 or or whatever you know this is um in the 2010s and uh it's it's very much all taking place today and it's such a great great series I, i really enjoy it a lot and he really is a completely different Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Peter Parker's parents died when he was little. Miles' parents are alive. Mm-hmm. Peter lived with his aunt. You know, um, again, Miles lived with his parents. He's younger. He's thirteen. Mm-hmm. When Peter Parker started, he was maybe sixteen or seventeen. He was in mm-hmm. high school. So it's it's a completely different situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Peter Parker lives in Queens. Miles lives in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Very very different. <laughs> right. <laughs> Extremely different. Yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. One. One series I want to talk about that's uh, um, very dear to to myself, not only personally but as but professionally into the the Comicspedia methodology is that uh, is is Nightwing issues one hundred one through one hundred six. 
And the reason why I mention uh, these issues being so important is that I, I find that, that it's accessible, interesting, and relevant to so many of my adolescent clients, especially around middle school. Essentially, once a client reaches an age of development and change and, and figuring out who they are and where they're going, these issues of Nightwing really drive that home and really focus on that experience of becoming your own person and change and, and, and figuring out where you're going to go in the future. Nightwing is published by uh, DC Comics, and these particular issues came out around 2005, 2004, around there. Um, and they, and with Nightwing, this is essentially the story of Dick Grayson, who was once Robin to uh, Bruce Wayne's Batman. Uh, Dick Grayson, for one reason or another, he, he makes these mistakes, and, and Bruce Wayne says, you know what? Out with you. I'm tired of you making mistakes and you're not there at my side. Uh, we mentioned this earlier with the Batman and Robin issues that Robin has had this history, essentially starting with Dick Grayson, of not always being there or you know being unreliable, wanting to do things differently than Batman and, and all that. Well, everything finally kind of comes to a head in, in, in these issues. And it tells that origin story of how Dick Grayson quit being Robin and became his own hero named Nightwing. And these are tagged with many different themes. I'm not going to go through them because it's with six issues, it's rich with collaborating with others, being different family roles. I mean, like everything. And uh, because it's such a great story that, that essentially tracks the development of Dick Grayson leaving the Batcave, reconnecting with his youth, reconnecting with his family and his roots with uh, a traveling circus act, finding his old friends and, and colleagues and figuring out who was I, that essentially Dick Grayson needs to figure out who he was before the Batcave, before he can figure out who he's going to be after the Batcave. And even going so far as to finding uh, a poster of his father's old acrobat uniform and saying, I think maybe that could be my uniform as Nightwing. Um, he eventually gets it tailored a little bit, so it has a bit of a different look, but but this isn't, of course, being that it covers six issues, this isn't an easy path. He struggles and stumbles all along the way trying to be his own hero. And Bruce Wayne and Alfred are trying to, to follow him a bit and keep an eye on him and see how he's doing as his own hero. He understands that, that Dick Grayson has been training for a long time and is very skilled, but, he's, but Bruce Wayne wants to make sure that Dick Grayson is going to be okay, essentially. So they, they spy on him from, from afar. They hire some of the other heroes within Gotham City, uh, like Huntress, for example, or, or Batgirl, to kind of keep an eye on him, make sure he's okay, and, and talk to him and all that. Um, but at some point, Bruce Wayne and Alfred end up getting in trouble. They get in serious trouble, and they get caught by, uh, by some villains and... Nightwing then has to rescue them, and it's this isn't a charade. This is this actually happens. It's not just a test or anything, and so it really comes down to Nightwing performing as his own hero. And in the end, he saves Bruce Wayne and Alfred from from uh, inevitable danger. And this was uh, is such a huge moment for him to become his own person and say, "Now I can operate on my own. That now if if I could save." essentially my father figure's life um, and, and his, um, uh, his companion, his butler, 
then I can certainly handle anything else. Uh, it's a great, wonderful story that I've used with, again, with clients mostly around middle school age or early high school um, and is, is very accessible. Um, I even had a, I have a client I worked with who uh, was in middle school and he had no prior knowledge to Batman whatsoever. Uh, he knew who Batman was by name and after sitting quietly for about 15 or 20 seconds he was able to guess that Bruce Wayne was his alter ego's name. Otherwise he had no idea, he'd forgotten, he didn't know like, it was his sidekick's name. I don't know, didn't know he had a sidekick. Um, this, this, again, this client of mine had, had no idea anything about this. So I bring in Nightwing and say, we're going to read these issues together. He had some, some trouble with, uh, with his father. I won't go into specifics with this, but it was, uh, it was just some family troubles. And I thought that the Nightwing issues would really resonate with him, essentially having a father that you have this disagreement with and, uh, and then becoming an adolescent and, and finding your way. These Nightwing issues were absolutely parallel to his experience. And it was wonderful seeing his reaction to it of first talking about what was going on with Dick Grayson and, and Bruce Wayne and, and how their characters were changing over the course of these issues. And then later taking that language and applying it to his own life and how he was noticing that he was changing and that his father was changing and that their relationship was going to be changing over the next several years of, of uh, you know, being a clear authority and you know a child who doesn't know any better to someone who is gradually going to be knowing a thing or two and kind of needs a little bit of room to be his own person but you know only at the um at the uh, you know allowance of, of the father saying to be able to step back and say okay you can be your own person um, so for somebody again who had no prior experience whatsoever with superhero culture uh, comic books or anything like that this this it's, it seemed as if it really hit home with this client, and I continue to use it today with, with again, many adolescent boys who are kind of trying to figure out who they are, who they're going to be, and what they can learn about themselves in the process. That story is, is collected in a book called Year One, Nightwing Year One. Mm -hmm. And DC Comics has a lot of books called Year One, uh, mostly mm -hmm. Batman books, Batman mm -hmm. Year One, Batman's First Year, mm -hmm. and then... But the interesting thing is that Nightwing Year One, this isn't him becoming a superhero. He's already been a hero for a very long time, and this right. is a transition. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, I think, I mean, you've mentioned Dick Grayson twice already. He's mm -hmm. probably, I mean, he's very important in DC Comics. Everybody knows him and everybody likes him. Mm -hmm. And um, he also seems to be one of the characters who's been able to reinvent himself and 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 go through a lot of changes, more than most characters, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there are so many stories of, it's interesting that he's, he's not a, a big name like Bruce Wayne or Clark Kent, you know, with Superman or, or, um, or, you know, with Wonder Woman or any of the other DC characters. But the importance of Dick Grayson in terms of his life story, I think is very unique and very strong in terms of character development, going from the, the story of his parents being killed and, and so then being taken in by Bruce Wayne as, as a ward um, and, and learning the ways of Bruce Wayne uh, becoming Batman and how to be a detective and all that and, and kind of becoming his own person to uh, trans transitioning into becoming Nightwing and then later transitioning into becoming Batman and uh, you know which again was a very recent event. I mean he just gone through so many changes and there have been such fascinating kind of conflicts along the way of how does he handle all of this i mean 
if you know you ask somebody to become a superhero once or a sidekick once i mean can you imagine even in a world of superheroes to ask someone to become it over and over and over again to try different things and have to carry the reputation of either yourself or your mentor um yeah absolutely is is such a rich story with dick grayson he's also one of the only characters in comics i think to age mm-hmm. he started when he was a little kid right and now he's all grown up. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the very few characters to do that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So my next pick is Green Lantern New Guardians. Um, specifically issue number seven, which came out in March 2012. And it's available in the trade paperback, uh, Green Lantern New Guardians Volume 1, titled The Ring Bearer. Now, Green Lantern is a superhero who has existed in DC Comics for a long time. And he gets his power from a ring that uh, Green Lantern is a a hero who has a ring. And the ring um, is sort of a catalyst for willpower. So the more willpower that Green Lantern has, the more power he has. And he's able to take that willpower and and create things with it and and fly and do all sorts of great stuff. A few years ago... Um, DC Comics did something very interesting, and they started introducing other colors with other emotions. They called it the emotional spectrum. This is DC Comics emotional spectrum. This is not. <laughs> this doesn't really exist anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so, um, I want to go through what those mean because it's relevant to the story. So, DC Comics emotional spectrum is includes the following colors: green uh, represents willpower, yellow represents fear. Red is rage, blue is hope, indigo is compassion, violet is love, and orange is avarice or greed. Um, There are also two more, um, white and black, which represent life and death. But really the emotional spectrum is just the colors I I mentioned before. So a few years ago in the comic books, people, other lanterns started appearing. So there's the Green Lantern and there's a whole core of Green Lantern. So there's many, many many Green Lanterns all having a ring and being able to use their willpower. Then Yellow Lanterns start appearing and Red Lanterns and Green Lanterns, um, Blue Lanterns and Indigo and Violet and Orange. And in this series, Green Lantern New Guardians, something happens where when one representative of each of the colors comes together. Now, these are people who, again, their, their power comes from willpower, fear, rage, hope, compassion. They're very different. So they don't really get along. Rage doesn't get along with anybody. Fear doesn't really, you know, fear and rage tend to be bad guys. Um, so is orange, which t- tends to be, um, which is greed. And one of the representatives of each of these uh, cores is brought together for a reason. You don't really know at the beginning of the series. But by episode, uh, by issue number seven, they all have to work together against a common threat for the first time. And... Oh, it's really cool to see how all of their different powers, how they complement each other. Hope, actually, the Blue Lanterns, they actually energize everybody else. They're able to recharge everybody else's power, things like that. I mean, it's, it's really great. The themes I tagged in this article in particular are being different because, again, each one of the colors is completely different and the characters are completely different. They're all aliens from different planets. They're very, very different. Collaborating with others because, again... For the first time, they actually have to work as a team. Others' expectations, because each of them belongs to a core, and that color represents something. And 
the Red Lanterns are usually just really bad people. And but but what is he supposed to to do now that he's working on this team? And and you 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 see how those dynamics play out. And then roles again. What what are what are our roles on this team? What are we supposed to do? And each of us have these powers that complement each other. So it's I think it's just a, a really a, an idea that's just so rich and and something that you can really use. I always think about using it with kids. It's it's an idea that I'm still developing. But you can actually buy the different colored rings for all of these. And I think it's great to be able to ask people, you know, like which of these colors do you feel like at the moment, or which one do you identify the most, or which one of these emotions do you feel that you need right now, or do you wish you had? Just really, really rich uh, psychological themes throughout the whole book. It's also a lot of fun, and um, so again, that's Green Lantern, New Guardians. That's cool because I, I think that when it comes to emotions, uh, and I'm guilty of this myself, uh, just in my own day-to-day life and in my emotional reactions to things, that people put a lot of judgment on emotions, that I should feel this way or I should feel that way in this moment. Why do I feel guilty about this when I should probably feel happy about it? Or why do I feel... Um, you know, ecstatic about this, I think I should actually be pretty angry or, or what have you, this kind of emotion confusion. And I think what, what it sounds like that these comics are doing with uh, with all the various colored rings is that they're showing that there's kind of power in each one, um, that there's different degrees of power, there's different kind of qualities of power, but but regardless, they have, uh, they, they can all be successful at whatever they're setting out to do based on the emotion that they have to charge themselves with or to... to uh, to exercise, um, I think that that Green Lantern specifically is such a fascinating superhero too, be, with willpower. Just being able to throw yourself into a situation and say, "I'm going to will myself to do this. I'm just going to push through it, use all of my available resources and focus, and just work at it." And and in the end, I know I'm going to be successful at it. You have to have that confidence in, within yourself, and I think Green Lantern really again, shows that um, that piece very, very well. I'd be curious to see if the other colored lanterns would get kind of their own exposure. It'd be cool, I think, to see, you know, a yellow lantern comic book or a red lantern comic book. Um, and I understand... There is, there is a red lantern comic book. Oh, cool. And, um, and, and then in the past, uh, there were events called uh, Brightest Day and Blackest Night where right. a lot of them were featured. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a whole series of the Yellow Lanterns. And, mm-hmm. and so, so they are getting a little play. Mm-hmm. And, and I think something great about the Green Lantern is willpower is such a powerful concept. So it's funny that their weakness was always the color yellow. And the yellow mm-hmm. represents fear. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, that, that's a powerful statement right there. Right. You know, right. and then just having all the other ones play into it, they each have very, very specific powers. The greed is probably the most interesting one mm-hmm. because all of the other cores they they grow in number. They they rely on the fact that they have many, many, many members, each with a ring. Mm-hmm. But the <laughs> orange only has one lantern. Because he's so greedy that he doesn't want to share it with anybody else. So he actually holds on to the lantern at all times. And he's the only one with the ring because he doesn't want anybody else to have one. Oh, that's awesome. So again, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So I saved what I think is kind of the the beefiest uh, comic book collection for last. Uh, that's X Men Second Coming, and if we go on Amazon or any bookstore, that's how it'll be listed. 
You might see X-Men Second Coming Revelations, which is kind of a collection of backup stories. There's in, in comic book reading, you'll have kind of your main continuity, your main progression of the story, but then there will be additional issues that kind of slow down time a little bit. Like you might see somebody walk into a door and then walk out, and you know, but all this action took place. So it'll say, to find out what happened inside, pick up this other issue. And so you pick that up and like, oh, so that's what they did in there. Things like that. Uh, but again, Revelations is not necessary whatsoever to um, to really understanding what's going on in X-Men Second Coming. So I'll just be talking about that main book um, right now. The And again, with, with X-Men Second Coming, it's so big. There are 14 issues in it. The, the collected edition is almost 500 pages. And it's it's great. I mean, it's it's absolutely great series. Uh, but if if there's one book that I would recommend every therapist go out and pick up, it would be X-Men Second Coming, primarily because of the richness and complexity of themes, but also because there are so many issues in there that you're going to find something for everybody. There's so many heroes, so many villains, so many conflicts, uh, all these interpersonal struggles. It is such a great book. Um, The story behind it is that the X-Men numbers, the number of mutants, essentially, they're dwindling. They're down below about 200 throughout the world. In previous X-Men stories, these mutants, uh, which are you know kind of like you and I, just just regular people, but they have one mutation in their genetics, and so it creates in the you know the uh, comic book lore, it gives them some superpowers, like usually one unique ability. And um, well, in in previous stories, the mutants were starting to spread a bit, like a lot of mutants were being born throughout the world, and so it was viewed as almost like a second race um, being being born. And there were all these, these conflicts between us regular folk and these mutants who had really cool abilities, like flying or screaming really loud or punching through walls or what have you. Well, in Second Coming, the, the mutant numbers, they're dwindling. They're getting down to about, uh, again, less than 200 all throughout the world with no new mutants being born. And these gr- this group of villains has assembled essentially in the name of human dominance to wipe out the mutant race entirely. Now, the humans haven't necessarily united against the mutants. They're, the humans aren't saying, down with all mutants. I mean, there might be some, but there's still the, there's, they're kind of a vocal minority. And within that vocal minority is this group of, somewhat ironically, um, supervillains who have powers and abilities or have like... Uh, weaponry and and, and um, uh, machinery and robots and stuff on their side, um, so they are trying to get rid of the mutants and prevent them from being born. Um, the story events range from losing key members and the impact on the mutants. I'm not going to spoil that right now, but um, one of the X Men dies, and uh, well, at least I should say at least one of the X Men dies. Um, they're could be many more and um there are many other mutants die as well um so you've got that that issue of of loss um there are uh robots called nimrods that attack the mutants and kind of silly name with nimrod but um the, the nimrod's main ability is that they can take they can read the power of the mutant and turn their defenses to exactly defend against that power. So if uh, one person can shoot laser beams, for example, that would normally cut through walls, the Nimrods will will pick up on that, being machines, they pick it up you know, immediately, 
and they will create this kind of force field around them that will deflect against that laser. So now that mutant is useless, they can run up and, and kill them or, or you know, beat them up. Um, or with Wolverine's claws, for example, it can cut through things. It can also create this defense that would stop that. Um, so they're very particular in terms of how they can cut through the mutants like a surgical knife, that they are exactly tuned to kill mutants. And at one point in the story, hundreds of thousands of Nimrods are pouring through this time portal that are just like filling the earth in search of all the mutants. It's, it's incredibly scary to see this happening. Um, and so with this, though, this uh, element of time travel, the mutants kind of time travel too to try to stop it. And, um, but again, it's one of those things where you have something that's your strength and it's very unique to you. And now you're coming up against somebody who knows exactly how to use that against you or how to make that useless. Um, you know, how many times have, have we felt that there's something we're, we're very good at, but in the end, maybe we kind of lose confidence in it, that it doesn't, we're not as good as we thought or someone else is better or, or what have you. And that, that strength that we once had is now quickly deflated. And uh, there's even a moment in there that's really interesting uh, where they demonstrate resilience despite mental illness, that there's a character in there uh, with schizophrenia who uses his unique abilities to fight the Nimrods. It's, it's a, uh, well, it's, I should say they call it schizophrenia, but a lot of stories take schizophrenia and toss in multiple personality disorder, which is, you know, now called dissociative identity disorder. And there's, I mean, so there's some blurring of the lines between like what diagnosis does this guy really have? But essentially they still are communicating. Here's somebody who was previously kind of like locked away for being crazy, like they would call it. But he ends up having these ultimate incredible powers that, that help save the day. He's special. Yeah, he's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, there's something very unique about him that, that gives him this, this power to, uh, to, to kind of overcome things. So it's a great message of anyone can be helpful despite what's going on. You can have mental illness or not. You could still be somebody. You could still do something with that. And lastly, there's great themes of finding yourself with Scott Summers, who's Cyclops, uh, becoming the leader of the X-Men. And here's somebody who has always served in a sort of leadership role in the past, but in this story in particular, uh, uh, Professor Xavier is, who was once the, the very you know, key person, like he is the one to lead the X-Men, um, he takes kind of a backseat in a leadership role in this, in this book. So uh, Scott Summers now is kind of taking it on and saying, what do I do? How do I prevent the last hundred of us or, or whatever from, from being killed off. This is all on my shoulders. I've got to decide what people do, assemble these teams and say, go here, go there. And so taking on that leadership role, we see a lot about who Scott is and, and how he can handle the, these conflicts and these difficult situations. So again, Second Coming is about 14 issues, very big book um, that has that touches on every theme in Comicspedia. And I highly recommend it, again, to any therapist because that's really going get, to get the ball rolling in terms of bringing comics into therapy. Um, this, this is always a, a, a series that gets clients really pumped up and charged because I think pretty much everyone likes the X-Men or at least someone on the X-Men because it's a group of heroes with unique abilities. And, um, and so there's always going to be somebody that's like, oh, that's really cool. That's a cool power. I want to like, learn more about that or, or see more about that person. Everyone gets their moment to shine in the book. And it's just such a great story. Um, as well as the, the Avengers even make a little cameo in, uh, in this series. So even if you're just a, a Marvel fan or superhero fan in general, there's something for everybody in this book. So again, I definitely recommend picking that up.
And I think the X-Men in general are always so great. Um, it's, it's such a good analogy. It's so much social commentary. Oh, yeah. yeah. Always. And there's always the issue of uh, you know racism and discrimination and, and inequality. But it sounds like that scene you described with the thousands of Nimrods mm. coming in, I mean, that represents like, oppression. You know yeah. what I mean? This huge number, this majority, you know, trying to... to put down this minority right exactly i mean the story of of um professor xavier and uh the uh, character behind magneto takes place in world war ii concentration camps and he, this i i can't help but but draw a, a line in parallel between that story and what's going on here i mean it, it must be similar when it must have been similar uh, jews living in europe saw the Nazi army marching down the streets and just taking, you know, just like wiping through the cities and taking people and, and all that, that it's, you feel completely helpless. It's just, you're being surrounded and, and with, with things and people that are much more powerful than, than just yourself. Um, again, this is, it's, um, you know, similar in, um, in story quality with, with this in terms of having, having this come in seemingly out of nowhere and just completely disrupting your, your way of life and, and threatening yourself as a race, as a people. It's right. Exactly. Great parallel with, uh, with oppression. So you picked the, so you left the largest one or the, the heaviest one for, for the end. Mm -hmm. I did the opposite. <laughs> I, I picked uh, my lightest uh, book for the end, but I'm going to go ahead and also say that I think that any family therapist should pick this one up. So that's 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 my my one recommendation for awesome. every every family therapist to pick up. Cool. Um, this is considered an all ages comic. It's called Superman Family Adventures. It's all ages because it's really drawn in a cartoony way. Everything is really cute and everything is funny. But the themes in it, I think, are are, are great. Um, specifically, I want to talk about issue number two of Superman Family Adventures, which came out in June 2012. This is a, a brand new series. What happens in this particular issue is that. A character called Bizarro Superman shows up. Now, that's a character that's been around in DC Comics for years. The idea is that there is an alternate Bizarro world that has a Bizarro version of each and every one of us. And in Bizarro world, there's also a Bizarro Superman. And he comes over here to our world. He actually speaks backwards and he doesn't look like Superman. His colors are backwards. Everything is, is strange about him. Um, and he's usually drawn sort of disfigured. He's appeared in almost any incarnation of Superman. And in Superman Family Adventures, all of the super family is there. That means there's Superman, Supergirl, Superboy, and all the super pets. So there's, a, crypto. there's, there's crypto the dog, there's a new, uh, there's a mouse, there's a cat, there's just, yeah, Fuzzy oh. the crypto mouse. Um, nice. <laughs> there's tons of, so, so there's a super version of almost everybody in this book. And they really are a family. So when Bizarro shows up, they, you know, the, the kids actually see him first, Supergirl and Superboy. And they try to stop him because he's just uh, wrecking havoc in Metropolis. But then they realize that he was just cranky because he crashed on the Earth. And then they realize, well, he's, he's super too. So he's kind of like part of our family. So they go and they start trying to take care of him. And they accept him as part of their family. So the themes I, I pick up in this one are being different because Bizarro is absolutely, he, he can't be more different. He just represents being different. Collaborating with others because the family is kind of trying to figure out how do they deal with, with this new arrival of this, of this new person. 
And then family is the biggest one because Bizarro is is now a part of the family. And how do you deal with a family member who is different, right? In in the in the in the context of the comic book, he's Bizarro. And that means something within the comic, but I think that it's a really good parallel for something like I don't know, someone who may have a mental illness or someone who may have some sort of handicap, maybe some sort of um down syndrome or something like that where kids would would see the person as very different and yet you see how this family works together and how they they really come together and accept him and how he feels and i think it's just a, a great analogy for for a lot of stuff especially again family therapist this whole series superman family adventures is fantastic for that and it's all ages it's a lot of fun i enjoy it a lot and if if you like um Superman Family Adventures there's actually a a series that the same artist used to do before called Tiny Titans which is a 50 issue run and it actually takes all the sidekicks and puts them as little kids or babies and they all go to sidekick school and it's a lot of fun it just deals with different issues every week uh and it's a lot of fun but again Superman Family Adventures a lot of fun it's also a great intro into Superman if you don't really know about it this in one issue alone pretty much touches half the history of Superman in in just one issue I'm glad that one of us was able to bring uh, a, a family-oriented, maybe more youthful-oriented comic book. Um, reflecting back on the issues that I chose, um, mostly dark, heavy, depressing, traumatic <laughs> issues. Well, you started um, with um, parents, you know, like a father, father-son relationship or brotherly relationship, and mm-hmm. ended with oppression and um, mm-hmm. and racism and i started with ptsd and ended up with uh bizarro and family yeah bizarro <laughs> superman who speaks backwards and has opposite colors yeah yeah um yeah no and it's, that's that's great and I, I think that if anything that goes to show the accessibility of comics that there's something for everybody and even if uh, some of us choose to focus a bit more on certain themes or certain um superheroes or characters or, or whatnot there are always going to be so many more interests out there, so many other comics to read. And, and the one bit of feedback that I get most frequently from comic book fans who look at Comicspedia is, why do you only have superheroes? And that was just a, a choice that I, that I made um, just to have some sort of kind of focus in it. But um, again, even outside of, of this, there are so many other comic books that don't have superheroes in them that still have great characters and great things to, to explore, great stories to explore to help us learn about ourselves and, and how we live our lives. And here we only touch 10 stories, mm-hmm. right? And I think even within whatever we have read, 10 is very few. Right. And within just 10, we were able to touch tons of themes. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of yeah. uh, ground covered in, in yeah. just these 10, 10 issues that we brought up. And really, we're, we're limited by our own um, reading, Right. right, like we're fans of the comic book, so we read, and then when we see something good, we uh, at least you 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 add it to Comicspedia. Right. So really, that's only what you've read. I only read a, a, one or two of the issues that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many you you had yeah, read before read of the some, ones yeah. mm-hmm. of the ones that I mentioned. So, and we only talked about two companies. Today, right. right. Yeah. So, exactly. So you're absolutely right. There's so many comic books out there. So many things to choose from. If if somebody wanted to give you a suggestion. On, on some comics that they think might be good. I would recommend people hit up my website, www.comicspedia.net. You can also reach me uh, by email with patrick at 
comicspedia.net or find me on Twitter at Comicspedia. Uh, essentially, if you Google Comicspedia, you're going to find something of me. Uh, so send me a message any which way. I always love hearing from people, uh, whether they are um, kids, students, therapists, whatever, you know, comic book fans, psychologists, whoever, um, whatever your interest may be, um, find me in any number of ways uh, and suggest comics. I'm always looking for suggestions from people. So how did I do? I, you did great. Yeah, <laughs> I think right. you, I think you, you, you hit a lot of great themes. And from your explanation, I think again this goes to show how accessible I think that this idea can be to, to therapists bringing comics into into their sessions. That uh, you know is just a brief summary of, of the story of the book, considering some of the themes that are laid out in terms of what did the story cover, and then just as we gave today with uh, case examples and just talking about who would be an ideal client for this, there is such great potential for bringing comics into therapy that, that people can relate to these stories and, and really get to talking about issues that are relevant to the issues that they're bringing in. So I had a lot of fun. Yeah, oh, I did too. I loved hearing your suggestions and, and your, uh, uh, your comics. It was great. I hope we can do it again in the future or maybe... I mean, again, there's so many comics to choose from. I think we could do a few more of these episodes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So thank you so much again, Patrick. For more information on Geek Therapy, visit geektherapy.com or visit us on Twitter at Geek Therapy. Geek Therapy.